0: Welcome to the Elevated Podcast, based on the best-selling books, Elevated and Excavated. I am your co-host, co-author, Virgil Herring, and joining me as always, co-host and co-author, Drew Maddox. Drew, how are we doing today?
1: Doing great, Virgil. Having a great week. I hope you are as well. I hope uh, our listeners are.
0: Fantastic. Well, we're, today's word is a word that both of us yeah. have now put in our dictionary of yes. words that we're going to try to use more often. It's earnest, yeah. and it's not an it's not an easy word to put into context, always. Yeah. But at the end of the day, earnest has a very powerful message within it. Yeah. When you think of earnest, what do you think of?
1: Yeah. You, you know, I, I still remember the two of us when we were coming up with the words for excavating. We talked about, we, we got stuck on this word. Yep. Because it, it made its way to the whiteboard, but we were like, it's not really in our sphere of usage. Yeah. As, as it would be as it relates to, you know, success elements or digging deeper or whatever. Because when I think about earnest, obviously you think of, I thought of two things, an earnest payment, you know, yep. which is obviously making a commitment uh, for a future purchase, yep. basically signing your name in contract or obligation. Um, and, and it just takes it to a deeper uh, agreement, if you would. Yeah. Like earnest money. Um, earnest money, yeah. Mm. And then, you know, I thought about the, the play of Oscar Wilde wrote, The Importance of Being Earnest. Like, those were the only two times I would ever think about using that that term. And then, you know, as we were writing the chapter and we were journaling about the word, and now that we're sitting here talking about it, you know, it, I, I began to have more of an appreciation for it. So I began to think about people in my life or just excellent performers, leaders, CEO types, athletes, that I would tie to being earnest. And earnest is a deep conviction to me. It's a deep agreement, a deep pursuit. It's the mm-hmm. deeper level of persistence, of devotion, of movement, of energy, of passion. It just almost takes it to a different level to me. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it began to like swell my heart up with appreciation for people that I started to put in the earnest category just because I never really thought about that word before. And yeah. When you start to think about next level in terms of all of those success attributes, it really is the ultimate compliment. When you say somebody possesses the traits of being earnest in their pursuit journey or story, yeah. you know, it, it really is an incredible compliment. And, uh, I wrote in the book about my daughter, Ava, just cause I thought about her and I'll tell her story in a second, but that's what I really think of just off the top. When I think about earnest.
0: Yeah. Like earnest. Uh, earnest money, which is you 're so committed to the agreement that you 're willing to pay up front versus paying either at the time of usage or putting it on your credit card and yeah. paying it later. yeah, you know this is a deeper level of commitment you 're so sure the direction that you 're going that you 're willing to bet bet early before it even comes to fruition that this is the direction you want to go mm-hmm. and in the book I wrote about Connor McGregor. Not so much that some of his behaviors sure. are earnest, but the fact that it wasn't that long ago that Conor McGregor was homeless. Unbelievable story. And on the street. Yeah. And somebody came to believe in him, mm-hmm. and Ernest Lee gave him something, and he never took it for granted. And even now, after, you know, he's probably well past his prime, he. Dedicates his body to being the greatest fighter that he can be, and <clears throat> in many ways, for somebody now who's you know basically shows up on screen and makes a hundred million, similar to Floyd Mayweather, he's an entertainer, and that's the part that might not appear to be earnest. Right. But how hard that that guy works, and how much he puts in in advance to the fight yeah. is is amazing. So earnest is. High level preparation. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about, pr- you know, being prepared, what you're doing to prepare yourself to win. Well, earnest is a key, key ingredient to preparation mm-hmm. for somebody who is wickedly dedicated. Tim Tebow also comes to mind and off the top of my head immediately for yeah. somebody who all chips are in the middle of the table, no matter what. If he's in, he's all in. Yeah. He's not, he's never half in on anything. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, that's what is really important for me to, to hear when I'm when somebody says if if I were to be called earnest yeah I would not have understood what it meant two years ago yeah but after we put this word in and dug into it it's a huge compliment yes to be called an earnest person yeah and because I guess when you think of earn you're always thinking like earn right you know, what am I earning? Right. But it's not necessarily based on what my first hearing of the word. Yeah. But earnest is a very powerful word. And like I said, it's one of the main ingredients to the soup yeah. of preparation.
1: Yeah. I mean, because I love how you even segmented out the word earn out of earnest, which obviously is the opposite of what you deserve. So you you literally are controlling everything that you can control your preparation all the way through performance execution and, and analyzing your you know in a post-performance stance yeah um i was thinking about you know i wrote in the book about my daughter ava mm-hmm. and when you described even tim tebow like i get a smile to my face thinking about once you get ava rose maddox you get oliver like there's <laughs> it is a <clears throat> storm that is coming at you and it is relentless and she is loyal and she is incredibly hardworking, and um just been such a blessing but the the one particular story that i told in the in the book was but going into her junior year she had really set up uh, she loved to play basketball mm-hmm. and had played her whole life and she had a great she was on a great team at cpa and she really had set up for herself, kind of the the goal of being more of a contributor, and I, I don't even want to say a starter per se, but like that would be symbolic of being earnest in the journey. Mm-hmm. But it was more like I want to make a, a deeper level contribution. And I remember watching with the dedication that she had in the off season, just the earnest pursuit of this dream or this vision she had for herself. And back to the point of once you get her, you get all of her. When, once she sets her mind and heart and spirit to something, it's gonna be an all-in investment. Yeah. And it was a tremendous blessing, Virgil. Like when I, I, I think about her waking up extremely early when it's still dark outside, and I could hear the ball bouncing late at night, even on the driveway. Uh, I, I remember her being so committed to her fitness, you know, just to her conditioning, yeah. her strength training, her basketball skill development what she was doing the hours of investment and I will never forget the first game and they had a super talented team her junior year Uh, you know when she called to say they were coming out of the scouting report like the afternoon of the first game Mm -hmm. and and basically the coach had said you know AB, you're going to be one of the starters and it was like All of this work, all of this time, all of this energy focused in a direction of going above and beyond in pursuit of this vision. And now it was like she got to experience the fruit of all of that. Mm -hmm. Well, if she wouldn't have been earnest uh, mind body spirit all the things she could control her her level of, of dedication uh, the way she prepared how hard she worked the way she bounced back when she wasn't feeling good the way you still go to work on days when you don't feel it I mean all of those things and it was just such a valuable lesson for her but more importantly for even a 45 year old dad and everybody else in our family watching that take place that earnest is something that you can control yeah that is a controllable. And we always talk about the controllables. Control the controllables. Do the next right thing. Love the next yep. right one. Well, earnest is a part of that. And that is something you wake up every day. And that is an attribute that can be spoken about you that you can't control. Mm-hmm. And that is very different than many success factors that you can't control.
0: Yeah. What I have found in this word is that it's it's getting harder and harder and harder to coach this in kids because of the Instagram culture, yeah. the social media culture of the highlight reels being put out. And as soon as you sense that you don't have the ability to do what somebody else can do, you immediately diminish your hopes of attaining something. And to me, one of the, the big losses in my opinion and where our culture is headed is the fact that people don't earnestly go about their work in the future, like for future planning. Like if you don't feel like you can play in the NBA at 14, why am I going to be out in the back on the back driveway working on my dribbling? I'm never going to be Allen Iverson. Well, who's asking you to be Allen Iverson? All you're really learning how to do is to prepare for life in a victorious mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, so people aren't willing. And this is what I face in golf. I face in golf players who have heard that they're good, They have potential. They're going to be awesome. And then the first taste of adversity, whether it be they play really good, maybe better than they've ever played and don't win, or they just keep on having good finishes but not winning or great finishes, Mm -hmm. and they start to question whether mom and dad's belief in them was just a a parental lie of buildup, not reality, and they're afraid to go all in. And not make it to the tour. Yeah, and I, mean, I counsel these kids all the time. I'm like, listen, <clears throat> I've taught 200 and I guess 212 kids now. Wow. to golf scholarships. That's incredible. One of them has played on the PGA tour. One. One. Brandt Snedeker. Wow. Six have made it to the Corn Ferry Tour. Okay. Which then I thought that was either Nationwide or right. Buy.com or whatever. So, that's seven professional golfers out of 212. That's about 2.75%. Yeah. So, let's just say for the sake of the argument, you have a <laughs> 97% chance of not making it, and you're a Division One golfer.
1: Yeah. But and that's which, if you made it to Division <clears throat> One. The percentage is you're running.
0: That's all That's college. not even
1: in the, the macro world of yeah. players that play.
0: 100%. Yeah. So, I'm just like, listen. What you're really doing is you're using a game yep. to teach you skills for life that are funner than life's events, but it's teaching you, man, this is so important. I, mean, I, I talk to myself about this mm-hmm. a lot, to be able to prepare while doing something leisurely recreational, basketball, golf, yep. tennis, whatever, endeavor, piano, guitar, <clears throat> But all at the exact same time, you're training the brain muscles to cope with adversity, to cope with mental and emotional struggle that come from putting all of your heart and soul into something and it not working out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, this, all this rings of dig and durability. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> so true. is to be able to dig in when things get difficult to have the durability to face adversity Mm -hmm. that we're all going to face. There has to be a level of earnestness within you that you're willing to pay it forward and work ethic, not actually knowing the outcome. And you really don't even care about the outcome. You care about the journey that you're on and the pursuit of greatness. And I love this is from Vince Lombardi. Nobody can be perfect, but in the search for perfection – we generally find greatness, mm. and that is one of the hardest. Like people can't turn the switch between mm. perfection and the search yeah. of it. In the search of perfection, we
1: oftentimes find greatness. Yeah. But nobody is perfect. Who in <clears throat> who in your life? And I, I guess you know. A lot of times, we're always talking about us being the coach and coaching kids or coaching others or whatever it may be, who has been somebody that has been earnest in their pursuit of coaching you? That has really been a blessing to you because I really want our listeners to kind of reposition this and start to think about people that have earnestly pursued them in their process and journey that have been a blessing to them in order that, and as you've said it a couple of times now, that because of that, as an outflow of that, we can pay it forward in the way that we go and earnestly pursue those yeah. we're in a relationship mm-hmm. with. Who's somebody, when you think about, uh, that has really been a blessing? Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a coach, teacher, mentor, somebody over the course of your life. Well, it's take my parents out of the equation because obviously
0: they're obvious. That's a given. All right. So in 1995, and this is old school PGA education. You know, they would. You just went to the, you know, a PGM school. You went through a series of educational platforms, and then when you finish them all, you are a PGA Class A professional. Okay. So one of them is when a teaching uh, two teachers come in, and they kind of show everybody the fundamentals of teaching the game. Okay. And it was generally speaking. Now I was a little bit ahead of the curve teaching golf, but not much. And the 1992 National PGA Teacher of the Year, Bill Straussball, shows up with a very good friend of his, who I ended up getting to be pretty close with later, Tom Patry. Bill Straussball is, well, you could argue, he's the greatest golf professional of all time because there's only one professional that has won every major award that the PGA offers. And that's Bill Strawsball, wow. which happens to be the ne- the fifth award is the Bill Strauss Ball Award. That's so cool. The person who gives back to other PGA members and helps them in their career. Yeah. So he's teaching us golf. He's asking questions. Nobody knows the answers. I answer one of the questions correctly. And he's like, son, you need to speak with me on our first break. So this is actually 1996, because this is amazing. think, Think about this. So I'm teaching him, or he's teaching me, I'm talking with him. He's like, after today... Come back to my hotel room and we'll watch the Masters. And this is when Greg Norman lost his six shot lead to Nick Faldo. Oh wow. Nineteen ninety six. This is yeah. ninety six. And he basically, it's just myself and Bill Strawsball and another girl PGMer who uh, who ends up playing golf at Mississippi State as well, were the two people that he invited back and okay. we sat there and watched the Masters. He then invited me to his club in Maryland and I didn't know at the time he had leukemia and he was not doing well. Oh wow. So he gives me everything he's ever done. Photocopies of his beliefs, the foundations, this, all of it. I mean, like stacks of info. And he says, the only thing I want you to do for me is that if you want to teach great players, make sure you keep your game sharp. I lost the best players because I was never really a good player. So they would all come to me to a certain point, and then I'd feel like I couldn't give them an answer because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I could think that it was right. I could believe what it was right, but I wouldn't know that it was right. So I'd always want to refer to somebody who has been in the heat and has faced the nerves of winning championships. So he had a, he had a guy named Carl Lauren, who was another great pro that I've spent time with. But that's how he went about things. He says, if you want to be better than Bill Strawsball, make sure that you keep your game sharp. So that if you teach good players, they respect you and they want to come see you, not just because of what can come out of your mouth, but what can come out of your hands. And I'm like, wow. So he takes me to his place up in Columbia, Maryland. I get a chance to watch him teach all day for free. Get a chance to watch him put all of his the things that he's given me to use, how he f- seamlessly flows with it. And he lets me go play his golf course later in the afternoon. I never see him again he I find out from Tom Patrick that hey you might want to reach out the coach he's not doing well and I call and his wife answers and said that he's too he can't speak right now uh, it's not looking real good and I said well what happened I said he's had leukemia for like thirty years huh. and it and I'm like how did I never I never knew that and he never told anybody and he passed away before I got a chance to ever say like really thank you or anything like that and even my thank you note arrived late you know but i mean at the end of the day there was somebody who was earnestly giving back to all pga professionals that showed a level of interest and commitment on their end to be better and to know that one of the if not the greatest professional that's ever been a pga pro and wore the badge of a pga professional took an interest in me at 21 with long hair, weighed two hundred and seventy pounds, <laughs> and I was a college, I was a college kid. Yeah, right. And he he looked past the facade.
1: He saw something, and he
0: and he just, and it was. I'll never forget him. mean, I, like I said, I weighed two seven. He had long hair, yeah. goatee. He was yeah. listen, son. I mean, we all like to have a beer and a burger from time to time, but we don't need three of each, (laughs) right? You know, he says, what I I want you to do when you come up, when you come up to Columbia Country Club to see me, I want this, this whole beard thing taken off. I want your hair to look like you're a professional and I want you to do your best to uh, look like a professional. Yeah. So it was, mm, that was in April. It was July. So three months later, I weighed 225 and had my hair cut. And you know because I wasn't going to let him down. Yeah. And that was probably the one of the most important things for me is that like I said, I was a person who don't li- doesn't like to be judged by my cover. Yeah. I want people to like if you're really interested in knowing me, right. I'm not going to let you see who right. I am up front. You're going to have to get to know me, and then you're like, oh, so the fact that I was, I've had to, who doesn't have. Bad things happen. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to hide behind something Mm -hmm. so that I wasn't going to get somebody who didn't really want to get to know me to try to get to know me. So I put that facade up. It's my own little issue that I've I've worked on dealing with. But at the end of the day, he looked past that. And people who can look past, I guess, my pain to help pull me past it and pull me out of the the thing that I'm hiding in, those are the people that make the biggest impact on you. Because everybody – I feel like even if you're struggling, most people don't want you to know that they're struggling. Right. They they're trying to put on a really, you know, tough face. Yeah. Because they one, it's not a bad thing. Right. But a lot of people, especially for men, a lot of people don't a lot of men don't really talk about yeah. their struggles. They just crack. Yep. You know, and that's one of the things that I'm as I pay attention to helping the coaching world is that I'm trying to see the cracks before there's a yep. a, a massive dam burst. Yeah. So I'll never forget that moment. And it's like something that I hold dear to me because it's something that I believe is important for everybody out there is that we're all putting on suits. We're all putting on faces. Mm -hmm. When I think there's three faces, the face that you want people to see, the face that you really are, and then the face that nobody, you don't want anybody to see. So I just think that it's, it's fascinating that people, you know, we hide behind our true self a lot. And it's the chosen ones, so to speak. That's why I feel like there are chosen people that come into your life that see right through that. Yep. And it's those it's those people that you should cling to. Yeah. Because they had the key. Yeah. You know, they had the key
1: yeah. to the to the code or the lock. Yeah. You know, just hearing a <clears throat> couple themes from your story about uh, about Bill. You know, one he, he was very, very intentional. I think it started with a deep level of care for yeah. you and not only for you in that moment, but for who you were becoming or what he saw in you. Mm-hmm. It was beyond all of those things. Um, I, I think there was compassion extended to you. I was thinking of I don't know, I was just thinking about care, compassion, conviction, and then like clarity too. So like all these C's, I don't know what it just flooding my yeah. mind when I think of <clears> this. <throat> But then even the clarity, like giving you a plan or a roadmap, even to the point where he trusted you with kind of what he had built. yeah. And uh, I'm sure that helped in your foundation of, of launching you in the way that you taught. Yeah. You probably even use several of those things today, I would imagine. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, all <clears throat> of those things. So it was care, compassion, um, the the clarity that he showed you. I mean, all of those were elements of earnestly pursuing you as a a human being as a person as an individual and he saw something in you you know and so i i was thinking like as you were talking and there's so many people i could speak about in this very moment right now that have earnestly chased me down yeah when I, i didn't even know i want i needed to be chased down or didn't want to be chased down but they kept earnestly pursuing me because they they felt like they saw something in me or they cared enough about me mm-hmm. or unconditionally loved me, yeah. I mean, even. And uh, w- one individual in particular is named Randy Heron came into my life in 2014. And, um, and Virgil, I- I've told this story, I think, on the podcast before, but uh, I pulled into Christ Press Academy after we'd won back-to-back state championships. And once again, being fully transparent and vulnerable here, Uh, uh, the element to my story that I've struggled with so much has been that results oriented piece. And it wasn't just the pressure to perform it. Then it became the pressure to produce, but then it was the pressure to be perfect. It was like this whole continuum of pressures. And so you were totally driven by the results. And if you didn't get the desired outcome, one you didn't love yourself because your your performance became who you were. Yep. It wasn't just something you did. But then the way I felt like everybody else viewed me centered around that performance piece, but not just the performance. It was the outcome. Yeah. And it wasn't just the outcome. It had to be the perfect outcome. So you may get the outcome you want. But maybe you didn't play like you thought you should. So then you still couldn't forgive yourself or extend compassion. So all that to say, pulled into CPA in 2014 after (coughs) back-to-back state championships, and I was literally paralyzed the first day of school, couldn't get out of my truck. Because as soon as my two feet hit the ground and I hit the pavement and began to walk in for that first day of school, it was symbolic of a new year, a new journey, and the pressure to do it all over again. And I remember gripping my steering wheel and, and being so paralyzed I couldn't move. Uh, I mean, it, it it was such, I, I, I mean, I, I, I still can sense myself being in that moment. And I knew I needed help. I needed somebody to come into my life, to walk with me, to hold my hand and say, there's more to Drew than the outcome driven Drew. Mm-hmm that basketball coaching or basketball performance over the course of my life is just something I do. It's not who I am. And I had that totally reversed. Yeah. And Randy Heron came into my life and earnestly pursued me on some ugly days when I was really struggling or when I got triggered in those moments and and missed it. Or maybe I took it out on a kid or, or something had happened. He just kept coming back. Into the batter's box again with me huh. every single moment and just earnestly pursued me to start to begin to release that uh, from who I was. Yeah. And it took, I mean, it's, I'm still on a journey. I'll, I'll, I mean, until I, you know, die, I will never lose a sense of that, but I've yeah. grown in that. But he would show up every Thursday morning. And basically became a counselor, coach, and a cheerleader, like all the Cs that I needed yeah. in my life. And But it all started started with this earnest pursuit that he saw something in me. He wanted me to experience freedom. And he knew where I wanted to be as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a brother, as a son, as a coach, uh, all of those elements that until I released that, I couldn't fully give all of myself that I had to give. But it started with this earnest pursuit of this one individual that saw something in me and wouldn't give up on me.
0: What was the one thing that he said to you that you'll never forget? What was that, that turning point or that cornerstone
1: moment? I think the, the, the one thing that we did, um, well, there were so many things. I don't know that it was one, one particular thing. But one exercise we did, we spent the first two years for 50 straight weeks. So every Thursday morning at 7 o'clock, I saw him. Uh, just like it was a counseling appointment. yeah. And he gave me a notebook and he goes, just throughout the week, I want you just to think about stories that have occurred in your life where you either got the outcome you wanted or you didn't get the outcome you wanted and what happened as a byproduct of it. And so I had this collection of stories and what I began to find out was it wasn't so much about the outcome. It was the way that I viewed myself And the way that I felt others viewed me as a result of the outcome. And I I know there's so many people out there that struggle with this. And and I know you've struggled with this. We've talked about this. And as a man in society, you know, you are driven by your athletic performance or as we get older, you know, the success or your title or your bank account or whatever it may be. It's something that we all struggle with. But I think the biggest thing that he said to me was basketball coaching and, and I've said it numerous times, is something you do. It's not who you are. And it was the first time that I began to detach myself from the ball itself. Mm-hmm. That I had more to offer than just the basketball side of Drew.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful stuff, man. Yeah. Wow. You know, I was thinking—not that it's the same word—but <clears throat> recently, I. It's funny how, you know, social media, the phone's always listening to you, and we were—I was talking about our the podcast and then there's a a reel comes up and it's donald trump whether you love him or you don't love him the point was he made this statement he goes what's the one of the most important things to be successful and he said to be able to handle pressure Mm. yeah and then it flips and then kobe bryant pops up and he talked about you know i i had to be able to handle pressure and how i handled pressure because i applied pressure I applied pressure back. Wow. And then the next one was something about Tiger Woods was standing there with, with uh, Rory McIlroy and Colin Morikawa in a tailor-made deal, and he talked about playing under pressure. And I'm thinking to myself, the pressure that we put on ourselves through, you and I yeah. as a coach, yeah. you always feel like yesterday's home runs don't win today's baseball games. Whatever happened last year, whatever happened last week, whatever yeah. happened yesterday, doesn't mean a doggone thing right now. Yeah. And the culture that we're living in is not making it any easier because we. When I think that Tiger Woods and and Michael Jordan ruined a lot of our memory bank <clears throat> because they we never saw them lose, we never saw them give it away. We they always, when it mattered, they pulled through. Yeah. Now the numbers do not show that right. whatsoever, right? But we hardly ever watched either of those two fail yeah. under the gun, but they did. But our perception, yeah, then makes us well. If we can't match that level, then we must suck. Yeah. We must. Yeah. We must not be very good. And I would say that you're probably a little bit ahead of me when it comes to not attaching who you are yeah to the end result of who you coach yeah and it's not easy it is definitely not easy when you have a high standard for yeah. what you want and so much of it is out of your control but yet you don't want to think that it is
1: yeah <clears throat> you know it's so interesting because the last year the journey i've been on in a total change of of really my career yeah path, for sure it was all set up beginning with those conversations in 2014. Mm -hmm. Because if I hadn't begun that work of really revisiting all those elements of what, that I did have more to offer, I would have never been able to step away from coaching basketball because that is who you are. Mm -hmm. Everything comes as a result of that. And if you don't have that, then who am I? And do I really have what it takes to make a contribution? And what I found out is in the releasing of that, the more and more free I got from that in chasing my true self, now I've been able to step into this new season of blessing that I would have never been able to if that even makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I wouldn't have had somebody like Randy in his earnest pursuit of me, releasing me from that identity-driven outcome performance gene that yeah. I was under.
0: And I would also argue that you earnestly trusted the journey that you were going to be on. Yeah. And not knowing where it was going to go, but you knew that something wasn't right. Yeah. Inside. Like it, how you coped with loss, disappointment, victory, mm-hmm. didn't register with how you actually wanted to. You just didn't know any different. Yeah. But in your earnest pursuit of elevating yourself, foreshadowed seven years later. Yeah to the point where you stepped away from being a basketball yeah. coach because that's not who you are. You're just a leader of people. yeah. And probably one of the most powerful revelations that I've had a chance to witness as a spectator is somebody who is as accomplished as you are at coaching a sport and an endeavor that you love <clears throat> recognized that you were not a basketball coach. That's not who you are. Yeah. It's just... Something that you chose to do, to step away and have an equally successful career, still coaching, yeah. but not with a ball in your hand, yeah. doing something that you're pouring back into communities across the country. Yeah. Well, now you're coaching 500 basketball teams. Yeah, uh, you know, but they're sitting, they're doing other things. They're not playing yeah. basketball, and that has to be. I mean, that's one of the most important things for me to pass on to people. That'd yeah. be my message today is that you never know when you're going all in on yourself. Yeah. You don't know. You didn't know why you were meeting Randy. Yeah. You just knew that you were. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's the ability to go all in, not have an outcome in mind. Just know that, that, that the journey that you're on. Yeah is the journey you're supposed to be on. So always be trying to put your best foot forward and know in in, in search of perfection, we often find greatness.
1: Yeah, I That'd be that. That's my final thought. Man, final that's so thought. good. Um, you know, I, I, I think my final thought would be this, is what trap blessing are you keeping yourself from? We, we don't know until you start to really, with open hands, open spirit open heart uh began to earnestly pursue you know who you ultimately can become yeah and it took people like bill Stralsberg in your case mm-hmm. randy heron and hundreds of others that we could have spoke to yeah, for sure about that have been a part of our journeys that love us enough that they want us to experience life and what i didn't realize was there may have been a trap blessing that i was i was keeping for myself yeah but I had to take the step and take the risk to invite somebody that cared enough about me that would earnestly pursue me to say, Drew, there's more, there's more gold. Oh yeah. You don't know where it is. You don't know how to get there, but I'm going to be in this journey with you holding your hand as we take the next step.
0: Don't meddle with God's
1: plan. Just trust the ride. That's it. So cool. Fantastic.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for joining us here on the elevated podcast. And once again, if you have any, any questions, comments, or in need of an ear or help, Reach out to us on our social media platforms, DM us, and we'll we'll be right with you. Stay with us next week as we delve further into Excavated. Have a wonderful week.